any realm, whether it be construction, whether it be in law, whether it be in music, there is jargon that is there for a very specific purpose. Welcome to BizBuild Podcast, presented to you by the good folks here at Diamondback Tool Company. I'm the host of the show, Damani, head of sales and media for Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow me at Diamondback underscore Damani, that's D-A-M-A-N-I on Instagram. I'm here, as I will be on every episode, with Connor Crook, CEO of Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow him on Instagram at Diamondback.ToolBelts. The purpose of BizBuild is to provide listeners an inside track on what it takes to build a business. It is our hope that you can learn from our successes and pitfalls and siphon knowledge from our various expertise so that you can get an edge in the business of building something great. In today's episode, we are talking contracts, contracts, contracts. Contracts can protect you and your business when they're done correctly, but done incorrectly, They can do the exact opposite by putting you in a position that you do not want to be in. What are the parts of a contract? Did you even know they had parts? What are some of the key points within a contract that you really need to pay attention to? And contractual language, how do we interpret that? How do we know that our contract is saying exactly what we want it to say and doing exactly what we want it to do? I'm Diamondback Damani. I'm here with Connor Crook, CEO of Diamondback Tool Belts. It's a good thing that he used to be a lawyer because he might know the answers to some of these questions. And we're going to start with the first question. I didn't know there were parts to a contract. What are the parts? <laughs> well, you feel free. Feel, feel glad that you didn't sit through a first semester contracts class in, in law school. Um, you know, contra- I actually... Never ever do that. <laughs> I'd probably break out in hives if I had to. Um, uh, you know, the first thing you think about a contract is obviously there are parties to a contract, um, and there can be two parties to a contract. You and me, we have a contract together. There can be multiple parties to a contract. Uh, there can be third-party beneficiaries to a contract, people who are benefiting from the contract who are actually not signatories to the contract. Meaning people that put their name on the contract. When you say a signator. A signatory, yes, is someone who puts their name on the contract. But <clears throat> you know, we could have a, a deal where uh, I'm doing so, – you and I have an agreement that we're working – you're working for me, I'm working for you. But the real beneficiary might be cameraman Mike. So cameraman Mike is not actually signed on to the contract. He could not sue in his capacity as a third-party beneficiary most likely. But it's already stated that you and I are the signatories. We can sue each other, but – it's really for his benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, so first thing is, who are the parties to the contract? Um, the next thing is, um, <clears throat> what are we trying to do with this contract? Uh, is it a contract to buy a, a thousand WNRN cups? Is it a contract to um, build pens? What what is the what is the subject of the contract? Um, you're going to have a term to the contract, uh, which can be very important in construction contracts, term being the, the time of the contract. Uh, one of the main things I can tell you about uh, the practice uh, construction litigation here in Virginia is the term of the contract, even if I say this contract is, you know, we're going to get the house built by X date, mm-hmm. that's totally unenforceable unless there's other language in the contract that says time is of the essence. Right. So 
knowing those those are the types of things that you know if you and I were just two lay people making up a contract, you'd say, hey man, well I need to make sure it gets done by this time, and I'd say, okay, well we'll make sure we'll put a deadline date in there. But when when we then end up in our lawyers' offices and our they're going to say, well, doesn't say time is of the essence. That basically is just a guideline. And do you have to, in, in a situation like that, do you have to prove why time is in a, of the essence? Meaning that this particular job, um, another job coming next is dependent on this particular job getting finished by this time. And that's why time, time is of the essence? Or can I just be arbitrary because I want it done at this time because I feel like it? Uh, again, um, you know, we can't say exactly what the law is in each individual state on this oh. podcast. We can talk about generalities here in Virginia. Um, you don't have to give an explanation for why time is of the essence, but that is a, a key piece of the contract that if, if, if you have that deadline in there and you really want that to be the deadline, you have to have that extra magic language. Time is of the essence. Okay. So we're dealing with um, the parties, the purpose of the contract, and the terms of the contract. I want to start with the purpose of the contract. Okay. Because um, to me, that seems... That seems to be almost like the, the, the steak and potatoes of what we're talking about here. You have to know what it is that you're trying to do. Sure. Um, oftentimes people don't. <laughs> I mean, as much as, you know, you might go into a, you might go into a job, maybe it's two people and we're, mm-hmm. and you're responsible for one thing, I'm responsible for another thing, but mm-hmm. there's all kinds of commingling and that commingling is not the word. That's a word I just learned from you in an earlier podcast. But there's all kinds of uh, crossover. That's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about right. in the work that's being done or within the contract. And so in this purpose area, are we working out the details of who's doing what, um, who's responsible for what things? What's happening there? Purpose, when I saw about the purpose of the contract, is, is a little broader than that. It's what are we trying to accomplish here? Okay. Generally speaking, in a contract, one person is do is doing, and one person is paying. Okay. Now, paying does not have to be paying in cash. There's another little word there on your on your page you hadn't asked me about uh, consideration. So, when you're talking about a contract, consideration is it's not. I'm being considerate to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. I, I was very considerate in nice, sending you such those a nice flowers. Guy. Thank consideration you. is. What you're paying, mm-hmm. okay? It's it, and a contract with no consideration is unenforceable. If I just say, "Hey, Demonia, yeah, I'll, I'll come over this weekend and paint your house. Don't worry about it," and I don't show up, sorry, you know, I, I was doing this gratuitously. I was doing it for free. I was just being a nice guy. Yeah, you can't zoom. You can't. <clears throat> I can't sue you when there's zero money. Right. Hey, Demonia, you're such a great guy. I'm going to give you this cup next week when you come into work. I don't give it to you. Sorry, it's a gift. You can't enforce a gift. Mm-hmm. Consideration then is I say, hey, money. if you give me five bucks, I'll give you this cup. You give me five bucks, I know I got to give you the cup. Right. That was the consideration, the five dollars. But it doesn't necessarily have to be five dollars. It could be, hey, money. if you, uh, I don't know, if you go and lift those, you put that, stack that firewood for me, I'll give you this cup. There's consideration either way. There's, there's the cup, it's the fire, it's the fire, it's stacking the fire. Like the barter system works within the consideration. Sure, yeah. sure. It doesn't actually have to be money, but there has to be something that I'm giving you and you're giving me. Mm-hmm. Labor, money, in-kind contribution. Two things of value. Two things of value. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times if you actually look back at, at a contract, it'll even say, for good and valuable consideration, whatever. And that means this is we agree that this is a fair price. 
I feel like that's a lot of words to say something that's really basic. Well, that's what practicing law is all about. You got to justify that JD at the end of your name, your law degree, and the three years of, of school that you went to. How to be verbose. That's right. That's right. Um, a lot of magic language in there. But I think, I mean, I think that's one of the things that really turns people off from contracts and also makes them afraid of them mm -hmm. is that there is all this language mm -hmm. that seems foreign it seems crazy just to say something that's basic like i have a value right that i'm trying to trade for this other value right and and, and that's a logical perspective but let's think about it this way i'm a lawyer you're a lawyer we now we have a very specific language that we talk talk in speak in to one another and it's very specific now let's take that into the construction realm and I said, hey, man, go get the saw. Mm. What saw? There's 10 of them in the truck. Mm -hmm. I said, hey, man, go get the cordless saw. And you're just like, okay, we've gone from 10. Okay, there's five of those. Okay, get the cordless circular saw. Okay, well, there's a Makita one. There's a DeWalt one. And then there's a, and then there's a track saw. Which one you want? Mm -hmm. So in any realm, whether it be construction, whether it be in law, whether it be in in music, there are there is jargon that is there for a very specific purpose so that there are no misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. The whole point of a contract and using all of this legalese is, yeah, on, in a sense, it's like, hey, man, you're going to wire the house that I'm building. Right. That sounds easy, right? Right. Well, well what does wiring entail? Exactly, you know, and and part of what happens in construction is, as a, as a specific example, is there are industry standards, and that's what comes up a lot in litigation. You know, I end up I sue you, and I say, hey man, you didn't do it the way you were supposed to, and you're like, that's how everybody does it. You didn't tell me that you wanted all whatever. You know, if you didn't specify that you wanted some particular type of wire, I use what everybody uses. Mm. And so there's a, there's a situation where there's an industry standard and you're going to do the work to the industry standard unless I tell you something different. So the language has a purpose. Language has a purpose. And the purpose of that language is to ensure that the purpose of the contract is clear. Right. And one of the first things that, that uh, you learn in contract interpretation is <clears throat> any ambiguity, mm -hmm. if I wrote it, it's on me. Hmm. So in other words, if there's anything that's not clear... The person who wrote the contract, it's on them. They're they're the one that has to be able to come up with some explanation or whatever. Mm -hmm. But so yes, the idea is we we need to get this exactly specific so that there's no misunderstandings. Do you find that people who maybe have more experience in dealing with contracts are writing contracts in a way so that they can get away with things? Sure, there's a way to write a contract that that where the contractual language benefits one party over the other. I mean, it's like when you sign on for when you go and get your credit card and you sign that piece of paper that says, "Yeah, I read all this stuff," which you didn't actually read. Right. What it says is that's what happens when I sign into my iTunes account, and they're like, <laughs> "Exactly, we do this all the time." These, are, uh, you know, there's one term for these is called contracts of adhesion, which means this is totally not fair. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you actually read the fine print on your uh, credit card application or whatever, it would say, if you try to sue us, you have to do it. Well, first of all, you can't actually sue us in court. You're tuned in to the Biz Build Podcast.
I'm Damani. And I'm Connor Crook. Well, first of all, you can't actually sue us in court. You have to go to arbitration, and we're going to choose the arbitrator, and the arbitration is going to take place in our corporate offices in some state that's 2,000 miles from where you live, Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. It makes it impossible. Makes it impossible for you. That is a slanted contract. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a good topic to to bring up. I was thinking about this topic last night. One of the things is when when the person on the other side lawyers up, you better lawyer up too Mm. because – I did litigation. There were times when, yeah, you get into court and I just crushed the other guy because he didn't have a lawyer and he'd done dumb things. And had he had a lawyer beforehand, the guy would have probably done things more intelligently. And then he gets into court and he's got no idea what he's doing. I got to represent my client the best as I can, which means I'm just going to crush that guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. I learned that the hard way. (laughs) A lot, of, a lot of people have. <laughs> going through a divorce in a custody battle. I remember going into court thinking it was very, very clear that I was the more capable parent. No, we, we can talk about what happens when contracts go south and litigation down the road and a lot of litigation strategies. But let's just say the other guy lawyers up, you better lawyer up. You better up. lawyer up. And, yeah, I lawyered up the second time I was in there. I learned I, I learned very quickly. <laughs> Going to a, a gunfight with a knife. Uh-huh. I fall down hard, but I get back up and I'm ready to go. So, so now we've got the parties that are involved in the contract. Okay, there's, you know, the buyer, the seller. Essentially. Um, are there other type of contractual situations where – uh, maybe it isn't so cut and dry. Well, I'm asking the hard questions. Yeah, it's like okay. Well, places where it's not so cut and dry. I mean, one is you know we talked about before about business entities. Uh, you need to know exactly with whom you're contracting. Right. You know, you ask is about, it an LLC or a corporation <laughs> that you're doing business with? Or yeah, an because you know one of the things uh, that happens sometimes is you. I'm, well, Damani tells me we're going to, Damani's got this company that he's going to set up to do this contract. Well, that's him protecting himself because now he knows that if he doesn't come through on the contract, all I'm going to be able to do is sue his LLC, which might own this sticker, mm. and I ain't getting nothing. Mm. So you want to make sure when you're in the contract, what who is the party that you're dealing with? Is it actually a legitimate entity? Is it something that was set up just for the purposes of this contract, which the guy's already just setting up to protect himself from liability? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we all want to work as, as, as companies and entities, and I would advise anyone doing that um, if I were giving advice. Um, but, you know, make sure you know who you're dealing with. You know, some people might say, I mean, I'm not one of those people, but that's beating the system. That's being smart. Like if I'm the type of person that says, I'm going to do this job, I'm going to set up this dummy LLC that I'm going to write into the com- that write into the contract that I know has no value. So if I mess up, I'm being protect. I'm protected. Some people might say that's good business. There's nothing wrong with what you've done. Mm-hmm. I need to be aware of it, though, and that's on me to make sure that I know going in mm-hmm. what the score is. Oh, I see. Okay. Because I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to set up a company. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, the other guy lawyers up, you lawyer up. 
if they're using a corporate entity that may or may not have any assets, I better be doing the same thing. doesn't mean that I'm trying to screw you or you're trying to screw me. It means we're both sophisticated business people and we're working on the same level. We're on an even even platform. So that's one, that's one sort of contractual style is getting lawyers, sitting down, working out the language. Mm-hmm. But we all know that some things aren't done that way. Mm-hmm. And in, in the real world, Sometimes people just get work done on a handshake. Yep. Uh, what is the legitimacy, the true legitimacy of a handshake contract? An oral contract can be perfectly enforceable, except there's, a, there's an old le- an old English, you know, a lot of our law in the U.S. goes back to pre-coming over here mm-hmm. English law. Dudes wearing, you know, wearing uh, the wigs. wigs yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff. Wigs, robes, the whole deal. Quick, quick aside, uh-huh. you know that back then when they used to uh, have the little uh, lace that came out of the, uh-huh. their clothes um, and the, the cuffs were very, very tight and the lace would come out. The reason that that, that lace is there is because uh, hygiene was so bad in England, people's bodies smelled so bad. So the ends of all your clothing had to be cuffed so tightly to trap your body to keep smell, out the funk or to, to keep, to the, keep, funk keep the funk in and then what would happen was they would take the lace and soak it in rose water or perfume so if you go back and watch these reenactments of old movies and you see people walking through crowds and they're they'd rather you know like, oh hmm. what they're doing is smelling the perfume as opposed to the mass amounts of disgusting body odor that's in the room okay so thank you for that yeah, a little historical lesson there. So back to the oral contract. So there's something called the statute of frauds. Okay, cool. The statute of fraud says that under certain there are certain types of contracts that cannot be enforceable if they're only oral. Mm-hmm. Buying land. And and you know, again, basic idea of American and Anglo law before that is land was value. Land was everything. Right. So you can have this five acres. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to pay you 100 bucks for it. Totally yeah, unenforceable. Great. Sweet. Um, and, and there's uh, a stipulation in there about uh, contracts that will take more than a year. If it's like, hey, you know, we're going to do this over some long period of time. Yeah, you need to get that in writing. Mm-hmm. The reason that contracts are in writing is not to make them enforceable. It's so that, again, there's no confusion. Mm-hmm. Because if we got an oral contract and it doesn't work out, mm-hmm. Then it's a he say, a he say, she say. Scenario. Yeah, and the worst part of he said, she said is, mm-hmm. it's not always that I'm lying and you're lying. Mm-hmm. It might be, I remember it this way, you remember it this way. Or I was confused. I thought you I were just, talking about this. And you I were just talking assumed about that. you were. Mm-hmm. So oral handshake contracts are enforceable if you can figure out what the agreement was. Right. And that's the hard part when you get into... And, and where that normally is going to come up or just as often is with a change to the contract. There can be enforceable changes to a contract. <laughs> so you can write a contract that says you cannot have an, uh, any oral amendment to this contract. Any amendment must be in writing. You know what you can change in writing, in orally? Mm-hmm. That part. <laughs> Tune in to the next episode of the BizBuild podcast for part two of this conversation. You won't want to miss it. You've just been listening to the Biz Build Podcast. I'm your host, Damani. Follow me on Instagram at Diamondback underscore Damani. That's D-A-M-A-N-I. Or follow Connor on Instagram at Diamondback.toolbelts. 
You can also find more about Diamondback by visiting our YouTube page or Facebook page. Hope you enjoyed what you heard here today, and we look forward to you joining us again on our next episodes. Take care. Don't forget to like and subscribe.